So yes, so these are, you can think of these as well as the Beatitudes. I like to think of them as the happy attitudes. We like a happy attitude, don't we? You know what I have with you? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to read um, Matthew chapter 5, which says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so if you remember the last two weeks, we have um, uh, looked at the first two, which was, the first one was blessed are the poor in spirit, um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. My, my thought on this, some of these things are to be striven for, and some of these things just happen to us, and so in that there is blessing. So to be poor in spirit, I think, is something we, we, we ought to, if we're not already, to be aiming for, to be poor in spirit. Last week we looked at blessed those who mourn. As I said last week, that's not something where I recommend you go home and kill the dog so that you can be in mourning about it. Who would recommend that? But um, that mourning happens to us. In fact, just this last week I did go to a funeral, um, my first music teacher, and, and actually those words were of a comfort to me because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, this week we're talking about uh, being meek, the in verse 5 it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So this one's quite easy really, as long as you understand what the word meek means and you understand what Jesus is talking about the earth, it's all fine. So there we go, that's, that's that. Um, but let's talk about this word meek. When was the last time you said in your common language and everyday uh, parlance, Oh yes, so-and-so is so meek. No, it's not a word we use much, is it? Um, and does anyone have a definition of the word meek? You, you've Googled it, have you? Is that what it is? No, okay. A bit shy? Okay, a bit shy, a bit timid, a bit don't like to be noticed. That's Any other? Modest, okay. Humble, okay. Okay. Oh, you've got the strongest concordance. Yeah, this is just uh, that's uh, I mean, all of those actually are, are, are correct definitions, but there's also but there's there's quite a lot to it. So yes. So Shara is saying somebody who has strength, but uses that strength in a humble way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, but interestingly, we don't use this word very much. Um. And I wonder whether, actually, in everyday language, we would want to receive that as a compliment. You know, oh, oh Graham, he's so meek. Um, we, you know, there's that Jesus, Jesus meek and mild. I don't know whether that's our favourite image of Jesus, necessarily. I mean, I don't really like mild cheddar. Some of my family do, but I much prefer a mature cheddar, uh, something with a bit of taste, a bit of punch to it. Um, mild cheddar doesn't really do an awful lot for me, so the idea of mild Jesus, it's not my favourite image, you know? Um, um, but let's not get Jesus confused with cheese. 
That comes later, blessed are the cheesemakers, right? Um, yes. Sheila's doing that week. Um, but one thing we need to really understand, and I think this is very important, and because this is part of a play on our English language, is that meek, and I'm glad nobody mentioned it, but meek doesn't mean weak. Okay? They rhyme, and I think we tend to, can easily put into, um, I, I wonder whether that's what you were kind of thinking a little bit, uh, Isabel, and, and a lot of people do, is that meek means weak. And that's, you know, a bit wet, a bit sort of pathetic, a bit, uh, bit limp. Um, but even though the word meek sounds like weak, it isn't weak, okay? And actually, um, there is a strength in it, as, as Sharu was alluding to. Um, and actually, meekness is something that we should strive for and a virtue that Jesus commends and speaks of in himself. So meekness, as we've, we've said, somebody said humility, I think. Uh, somebody said, um, what did you say, Wendy? I forget now. Modesty, yeah, there's, there's something to do with that. Isabel used a word to start with as well. I can't remember now. Yeah, so there's a maybe sort of understated, we'll put it that way. Uh, shy. Um, but like Shari said, there's also a controlled authority to this word, to this, this characteristic. A demonstration of power without undue harshness. And the strongest concordance says it's exercising God's strength under his control. You know? exercising God's strength under his control. So it's a gentleness that comes from not needing to work in my strength, but saying, I'm going to allow God to do this. Um, meek people are the kind of people that can pray things or say things without having to shout or, or be forceful, but you know there's great authority and there's great power in, in what they say or what they pray. You may, you may have come across people like that. They, they don't need to necessarily rush or pressure things because they are working in that humility and that gentleness and there's that power behind it so they just there's this confidence to know that this is going to be alright, I don't need to, to hurry. Um, people have, this, this is what I think um, Isabel was sort of saying, people they, they have a presence in a situation without drawing attention to themselves. And it's nothing to do with weak. I was thinking, I've been reading a book on um, uh, a thing called the Enneagram, which is like a Myers-Briggs, a spiritual Myers-Briggs thing, you know, personality, characteristics and types. And the one, one of the ways that this uh, way this book is written, it, it uses animals to in one way, one of the ways it uses to describe characteristics, it uses animals. And I think if I was going to find an animal that is a meek animal, it's a, it's a tame elephant. Yeah? So an elephant can, has all that strength and power and if it wants to move a log, which it would take all of us to try and move, if we want, you know, mass, you know, say a log the length of this room or something. But with an elephant, it would just be a little nudge of the trunk and, and it would move it. But it's not even using half of its strength, but it's just gently kind of like, like this, and away it goes. That's, that's a kind of a, a picture of meekness, if you like. Um, strength under control. Um, Analogies always fall apart, so don't think about wild elephants when they go on a stampede because that's quite nasty. And so, but we'll, we'll keep it at that. Um, so true godly meekness is that, that humble, gentle living under the power of God, not having to force things, but just allowing God to do that work. And, and if you think about it, what a great way to live. Nothing will be of huge effort for us. We, we, it would just be, just like an elephant, we just better, things would happen gently without a rush. Um, and 
That should be good. I'm, I'm guessing the opposite of being meek is actually rather than strength under, under control, but it's actually weakness out of control. I would say the opposite of weakness. And you know when you meet people and there's something broken inside them where they get sort of shouty and angry and forceful and aggressive because there, there is a weakness, isn't there, inside people like that that causes them then to become quite harsh and seemingly quite powerful and seemingly quite forceful. Um, and through either through their, their strength or their, their influence or their wealth or their intimidation, somehow, in a harsh way, they will get what they want. But actually, meekness is the opposite of that. Strength under control, humility and gentleness. And something for us all to develop under the power of the Spirit. So there you go, that's meekness. A little introduction to the word meekness. But So let's go back to what Jesus says. Blessed or happy are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So it's good news for the meek, because they're going uh, to know this blessing of inheriting the earth. So what does that mean? Well, um, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but if you look at this, actually, what we t people tend to think about Christianity is that when you, they, they tend to think the message is uh, not so sure about what's happening here, but when you die, you'll go to heaven. But actually, what Jesus has kind of almost reversed that, or not reversed that, he said this, and we somehow got muddled up with it, but actually he's sort of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now. So heaven is for now, almost. But actually, when in the future, those who are meek will inherit the earth. Because I don't know if you've noticed now, but mostly now the, it's not the meek that inherit the earth now. Um, but he's saying there's a hope here. Happy are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when I was young, I was, um, it was a while ago, and we can talk in um, astronomical figures here, but I was really into ast astronomy. Um, I don't know why I had this flashback earlier in the week when I, I can recall being in my grandparents' house I think it's because now we're the, our children are getting to that age where they can stay up a bit later and re read in bed and that kind of thing. And I can remember when I was, maybe Ella's age, I would, I would stay up in bed reading books on astronomy. Yes, I was a bit of a nerd and I don't mind uh, admitting that. I used to be fascinated with planets and the solar system. In fact, last night we were playing Trivial Pursuit and I was able to answer which of the six planets in the solar system. Thank you. Yeah. It's Saturn. Um, and... And there was another question on how many moons does Jupiter have? I said lots, and I was correct, because uh, the answer was either 4 to 5, 10 to 15, or over 60 or something, and I said over, over, over 60. I was correct. So these things pay off, kids, you know, so do your study when you're young. Um, I was fascinated with stars and galaxies, the, the distances involved, um, the fact that stars, um, there's so many different types of stars, and that stars have a lifespan, and that they they can either explode or they can implode and they can turn into red giants or red dwarfs and all this kind of thing. Loved it. And of course at the same time when I was a lad it was all fueled by things like Star Wars and Star Trek on the TV and um, Battlestar Galactica and all these things. Sorry? Never really got into that. Um, red Dwarf, yes, that, that was a bit later but yeah, red, um, all of those things but one thing horrified me, and that was the idea that in, in scientific and, and the, these kind of terms, the Earth would one day stop. Either that the sun would expand and, and swallow us up, 
sorry if you didn't know this, it's, uh, or, or the sun would run out of energy and we would get very cold, or an asteroid would hit us and smash us to smithereens, or that somehow the radiation from some supernova somewhere would wipe us out. You know, as a child, Ella's age, I used to worry about things like this, you know, so and maybe this wasn't great bedtime reading because I'd be then kind of going to sleep kind of, oh my word. I did realise this was going to happen in billions of years, so my consolation was, well, it, well, it won't really bother me, but my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren might have something to worry about. How would we escape? And of course then you go off into, should we move to Mars and all this stuff? But the point is, and um, I'm glad now, actually, those were serious concerns of mine when I was a kid. Um, but I'm glad now for my faith that I see that there's more to life than just a scientific view of the world and, and that Jesus gives us a great hope. I'll come to that more on that later. But my observation and of that is that life as we know it and life as it is needs somewhere to live, needs a planet. If, if we're going to have any kind of uh, life, any kind of uh, relationships in that life, any kind of spirituality, any kind of anything, it has to have someone to, somewhere to live. So God didn't create us all and then just kind of shove us out into space and we're all sort of floating around and I'm kind of, oh, there's Shari. She's, she was going to lead communion today but I've drifted off in the other direction and she's in the other because I can't, we need somewhere to stand on so I can walk up to Shari and I can say, thank you, we're going to share communion together today. We need the planet. And Genesis 1 paints that beautiful picture that how actually Earth is, that, is the stage on which God creates uh, everything so that his, his sort of drama can play out on. And we're part of that. And Earth, therefore, is very precious to us. I was watching in my sabbatical that I'd really recommend if you can get hold of this or you can borrow it. It's something that Liam gave to me, a DVD called, by Rob Bell called um, Everything Spiritual. And, and Rob Bell, slightly controversial preacher, but um, I, I like listening to him. And he was, he was giving these different um, facts, and he says, you know, if the distance that the Earth is from the Sun is crucial, if it were just a few, now we're talking in gal galactical terms here, a few million miles that way, or a few million miles that way, would either be too hot or be too cold, and life couldn't exist. The tilt of the Earth is just perfect. You know, because the Earth tilts and so we have a summer and a winter. But if it wasn't like that, if it was always summer in the Northern Hemisphere, which I know we would probably like that, but eventually we would just all get too hot and Australia would get too cold and life wouldn't work. The Moon, perfectly positioned, does all kinds of things. It creates a tide and a flow and, and it's, it protects us from other things like flying through space it gravitationally protects us if there wasn't a moon where it is there wouldn't be life on earth the oxygen content of our atmosphere just right for us to breathe in just 1% more one direction or 1% less in the other direction not good news for us apparently the, the salt content of the oceans is the same as the salt content of our bodies if it were just slightly different, no life. And apparently there's just hundreds and hundreds of these finely tuned things that coincidentally or creationally, depending on which way you look at it, happen to happen so that this planet is perfectly tuned for life to happen. So it's an amazingly precious thing, this Earth. 
and just one of those things, not, not if a few of those things were off, but just one of these things off by a little bit on the dial and we wouldn't be here. Amazing. I'm going off on my little space things here, but did you realize that just at the end of last year it was the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 8 mission? Did you see that? So Apollo 8 was the first uh, mission, a NASA mission to get to the moon. They, they orbited the moon. They didn't land on the moon, but they orbited the moon. And it was all done in a bit, if you read the stuff on it, it was done in a bit of a shoestring, because it was like, oh no, the Russians might get there first. So we literally, we we're not prepared. We don't have anything really, we're not going to, our plan was to land on the moon, but we haven't got that ready, so we'll just send a rocket just as quickly as we're going to get there. So they sent this rocket up, and the, and the idea was that they were going to take some pictures to see if they could find landing sites for future missions and, and all that kind of thing. So the moon was the focus, right? So they go there, they take pictures of the moon, but all the astronauts say what's just dazzled them the most was when they looked back at the Earth. And they saw this, it was almost like the one thing in the universe that was just impressing them was the Earth. Even though, I mean, We'd lived on the Earth for however long, but they, these are the first men to actually see the dark side of the moon and see the moon like almost like I'm this close. And they've got cameras on them. Of course, they were wowed by that. But more impressive than that was the Earth rising on the horizon. Amazing. And actually, I think they, they sent their message back to Earth on the radio. You should listen to it. They read the beginning of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. And, and they read quite a long passage of Genesis. It just gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. That these guys, they saw it, and they realized that this earth is precious. The problem is, that throughout the entire human history, what people have done on this earth is they've struggled and they've strived to try and rule this earth, haven't they? If you think about everything in history, this is where my children are different to me. They read history, I read, read, read astronomy. But this is where it all comes together, okay? Okay, all right. Abby. All right, this is where Abby and I differ. That if you read through history, you will see that it is people with power and strength are the ones who have tried and continue to try to dominate and rule the world, the earth. And so you've got lands conquered through wealth, through aggression, through conquest. You don't have to read, you can read the Bible, you see the same thing happening. You've got empires, the Egyptian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire. Something that I thought I was proud of until I started to realize what the kind of things we did, you know? I say we. You've got the wars, you've got, like in America, this stuff with, that's going on at the moment is, is in America wanting to build a wall because this is our land and it belongs to us not forgetting that in 15 whatever or 14 whatever it was us Europeans traveled over there and there's these we call them Indians but they were the indigenous people they were kind of there first and um, we just kind of kicked them out or pushed them out of their land hugely contentious same thing happened in Australia um, it's going on in the Middle East always been going on in the Middle East hasn't it you know read the Bible carrying on today what we talk what they're talking about the Gaza Strip, I mean, it's even just a strip, <laughs> you know, just a little bit of land. People are fighting over, happening in Ukraine. We fought a war over the Falklands, the Falklands, didn't we? A Falklands, Falklands, not that long ago. 
Gibraltar is becoming contentious again. Northern Ireland. Ah, Brexit. Dare I say it? You know, it's at the end of the day, it's all about land. My mum and dad, and we bring it right down to the very local, my mum and dad um, cut a honeysuckle that was hanging on their fence about 35 years ago. And our neighbour said, just push it over and, and I'll tidy it up. They did that. And ever since then, my neighbour has not spoken to them. And, and it's been like a feud over, well, we're talking about probably about that much land <laughs> where the honeysuckle was hanging over our side and... And then it landed on her side and, and it became a dispute over land. And now, you know, replacing fence posts is a serious business. It's all about the land. Who controls the land? We've been playing Monopoly the last few days, haven't we? Ella's won twice. Don't mess with her. She's one of these aggressive tyrants, actually. She just likes to pick up all the land and charge rent, high rents to everybody because that's what... Monopoly is about, and that's how our world works, isn't it? Land gained by wealth, by force, by power, inheritance, privilege. And in Jesus' day, if you're a landowner, you were most likely powerful, rich, probably oppressive, probably not very nice. And they were seen as the, the sort of despised ones, really. Even today, mortgage companies don't, you know, we're not great fans of them. The ones that hold most of the, the land in the country. Um, and it's always been the powerful and the rich who control the earth, so it seems. And this, seem, this is an injustice. And it's not how things were intended to be when God created the earth, um, that the, the land would be controlled or owned by a select few. But then along comes Jesus. And he says, happier the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now actually Jesus is, is nicked this one from Psalm 37. If you would look in Psalm 37 verse 11, you don't have to turn there, but it says the exact same words. The, the meek shall inherit the land, or the meek shall inherit the earth. In fact, it says five times in that psalm about people who will inherit the earth. That psalm just keeps going on about the same thing really. That don't worry, says the psalm, um, that those who are evil, those who are wrongdoers, they won't inherit the earth, but those who are righteous, those who are meek, they will inherit the earth. And it carries on this psalm, and it keeps going, and it almost sort of it's saying, don't worry about those evil ones, as if to say, look, Mr. Psalm writer, I live in this world where actually there's an awful lot of evil people who own an awful lot of this land, and I don't think it kind of matches up from what you're saying to what is going on in this world. And you might say the same of Jesus. Blessed are those who are meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Well, it doesn't seem that way. But in the psalm, it reads as if there's almost a cut-off point. It's almost like a, a kind of, bang, I'm going to do something. And in that cut-off point, the earth carries on, the righteous carry on, and the evil and the wicked are destroyed. There's a cut-off point where God says, I'm going to make all things right in this psalm, it seems and the righteous will enjoy the land forever. The meek will enjoy the land for, forever. Those who live in God's strength and not our, their own will inherit the, the earth, the physical earth. And that psalm is very prophetic, I think. It's, and Jesus plays, speaks into that and says, there will be a day 
when all evil will be dealt with. And these powers and principalities that control the earth now in wickedness and unrighteousness will be stopped and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the meek will be the ones who inherit that earth. And so Jesus turns up the whole way, upside down, the whole way the world works, it seems to us. Because if you want land and you want the earth now, you have to either be forceful or pay for it. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. I'm looking forward to that age when Jesus comes again and we will inherit the earth. It's, it's a very physical, real thing that he talks about. It's not kind of like us floating on harps and like I said earlier, you know, like I'm just still floating past Shari and, you know, hi Charmaine, hi Peter, and then we pass by each other in this, in can't even, this is, no, it's not like that. Jesus speaks of a hope where we will live on, on an earth with other meek people. I tell you, when, when the earth is ruled by meek people, it's going to be great. We're not going to be fighting over whose honeysuckle is lying on which bit of the fence. We're not going to be worried about where, whether we need to build a fence to keep people out at all from our country and who can come in here and who can go in there. But this will be a completely different place. I'm looking forward to that. So there's the hope. There's the good news. But for the meantime, I think there's something for us to learn. Just come back to this word meek. It's a... a, a a virtue to, um, to grow in, to, to develop. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. I wonder whether we just need to grow in this, this virtue of Jesus, this characteristics of Jesus, and grow in meekness. How do we do that? I wonder, in our thinking, let's think more humbly. Um... You know, I don't know in your thinking, but sometimes I'm, we, we often do a lot of scheming and plotting in our minds, don't we? How we can overcome a situation, how we can... If, or, or even if we, if we don't feel strong, but if, if, I, if I was strong, I would do this. Um, if I did win the lottery... Louise and I played this game the other day. Well, if I, if I won the lottery, this is what I would do. We, we have these ideas in our mind, you know. If I was able to do this, I would do this. But actually, to grow in our thought life, and to think humbly and to think gently and to know that God is in control because when God is in control our thoughts become more gentle they become more generous don't they towards one another when I realize that I'm under God's grace my thoughts towards you become more generous because I realize so are you and so I don't want to stop imposing me but I want to live in him towards one another I wonder whether we can grow in meekness in the way we use our voices learning to speak with a gentle authority rather than a forceful, manipulative kind of shout. Whether we shout or not, sometimes I think a lot of times our, our, the words we use are, can be quite forceful and, and quite controlling sometimes, I think. But learning to speak with a meekness of voice so that we have that gentle authority. I'd, I'd love to be one of those people that just speaks with gentleness and, and not have to try, but allow God to speak through me and, and things change. And f finally, just maybe developing a meekness of the way we do things. The way we, um, you may not think you do things very 
with a lot of your own strength sometimes, but sometimes we're very edgy, very panicky, aren't we? Because we, it needs to be done, uh, it needs to be done now, and we, we, we crack on and we have to... Things can get a bit tense. But coming back to that, um, the gentleness that uh, somebody mentioned in meekness. Just allowing God to be strong in us and not trying in our own strength so much, but just allowing God to be our strength. God's strength under his control in us. Allowing that to happen. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So here's the challenge this week. See if you can use the word meek in your conversation to one another. Say, yeah, I'm seeing this meekness in you. I'm seeing this meekness. Or help me become more meek. Because I don't know about you, but I want to inherit the earth. This is a good thing. Let's grow meekness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word, meekness, meek. Help us to learn, not just what it means from an academic point of view, or we, we know it, but let us, let us grow in, in understanding it in the way we live, in the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, that we will grow in the meekness of Jesus. Let us look to you and, and see the meekness in you, Jesus, that we'll be inspired by and desire to be like. Father, your presence in us, allow us to be a people that where we are, there is a, your presence that is strong and powerful, even though we don't draw attention to ourselves or what we're doing. But you, you bring in that humility and that gentleness a power that can transform and change uh, situations and people's lives and our life and those around us. Help us to grow in meekness and let us be happy in that. Let us be blessed in that, knowing the hope that we have ahead of us, that there will be a renewed earth is our inheritance given to us to enjoy and to rejoice in and to live life to the full in. We look forward to that day. Thank you, Lord. Amen.